Welcome Open Door, and this is Bill Effler. For some of you, it's welcome back because you were with me 18 months ago, and a lot's happened in these last 18 months. Uh, it was during that time, about 18 months ago, I spoke at Lee University on the topic of the boy crisis. And at that time, two uh, students approached me and they said, you've got to do this stuff on a podcast. And, and I said to them, technology's not my love language. And one of them smartly responded back, uh, you bring the copy or the content and we'll supply the technology love language. And so I just really want to acknowledge and, and thanks Ankit and Sam who got this launched 18 months ago. I couldn't have done the, the episodes that I did without their help. Uh, but today I have two other partners in crime, Lee and Luke Mercer. And uh, they're helping me get comfortable with the technology of podcasting, and they're supplying the secret sauce. And I just really want to uh, thank them for being here and for their patience. And no, I'm not through the undertow yet. I am still in a massive learning curve. So what you're hearing today is really experimental, and, and that's how we all learn. It's trial and error. Well, in preparation for today, uh, I did kind of a nerdy thing, and uh, I went online and I did some research on what would the year 2020 most be remembered for. And again, this was the uh, the year early on that uh, that Open Door was released. But I found an article from Time Magazine, and Time Magazine is perhaps you know, at the end of every year they talk about you know, what will a year be remembered for? And what headed their list was the controversial presidential election. Was it legitimate? Was it hijacked? Uh, what was really going on there? And I've heard those discussions and my wife and I have talked about that. But again, I, I get this ADD side of me and I ended up uh, doing research on controversial elections in the United States. And the Trump-Biden election was not the first controversial election that really took place. Uh, I found out that uh, one of the earliest controversial elections took place in 1860. It was the election of our 16th president. Uh, by many Americans' opinions and standards, whether they're red or blue, Democrat or Republican, hawk or dove, uh, Lincoln is a highly remembered president. But the reality is in 1860, he did not carry the popular vote. He garnered only 42% of, of voters uh, in the then United States. Well, how did he get elected? Well, the Electoral College. But with that election, it split the United States wide open. And you know what history has told us. It was the war between the states or, or the Civil War. There were other controversial elections as well. And the second one that I would mention here, and I'm not going to go through them all for sure, but a second one took place exactly 100 years later in 1960 when the then uh, seated uh, Richard Nixon, then vice president, ran against a young upstart Democrat from Massachusetts, and his name was John Fitzgerald Kennedy. And in one of the most highly contested elections in at least United States history, uh, John Kennedy uh, was elected. And again, it was, it was a significant thing. All I'm saying is, uh, it seems to me that uh, politics is one thing that has really divided our nation. 
And to me, I kind of uh, grieve over that. But this Time Magazine article went on to say that other than the uh, changing of the guard between presidents, uh, you also would need to acknowledge the election of the first female vice president, Camilla Harris. You'd also need to be aware that on January 20th, what most people thought was going to be the news event of the year, the tragic death of Kobe Bryant took place. And people said, boy, this is going to be the news event of the year. Wrong. It, it simply was not. On March 11th, and you know what I'm about to say, COVID was identified. And, and at that juncture, uh, you know, everybody's life changed. And that's why, uh, you know, Open Door was, went dark. It went dormant for 18 months. And it was so interesting to me. And those first four uh, episodes or segments that we aired, there are over 7,000 views worldwide. And, and with that, uh, you know, my mind took me. I thought, you know, what's going on? And uh, all I could come to reason in my small-mindedness is that uh, people were interested in what my heart and head had to say. And, and so now we're trying to relaunch and uh, in every sense of the word, open door. But also in, in preparation for today, other than that Time Magazine article, uh, I read another article. It was from a psychology journal. And, and that uh, artic article went on to talk about in moving from 2020 to 2021, what do Americans need to do differently in 2021, the very year that we're in now? And it was interesting to me that the very thing that headed the list was this phrase, health is wealth. Not health and wealth, but health is wealth. And this article went on to say that Americans needed to take better care of themselves physically. Uh, just in the last month, uh, I have had a wake-up call, a health wake-up call in every sense of the word, uh, and I end up you know, adopting the help of an online uh, you know, a health coach, if, if you will. And I've learned that a large part of my health, and in just three weeks, the loss of 14 pounds, it's all about water. So I'm not going to turn this into a, into a health thing today. But in the weeks to come, I'm going to address the issue of health and American culture. It's a, it's a big deal. This article uh, that I had referenced regarding a, a psychology journal also not only talked about that health is wealth, but they also uh, referenced the reality of the mental health needs in, in America. They identified depression. And in weeks to come, I'm going to do at least one session on, on depression. It's a commonly used word, uh, but it's a greatly misunderstood word. But one of the things that this article went on to talk about was the reality of anxiety with mental health issues. And there is a diagnosis for that. It's called GAD, Generalized Anxiety Disorder. And this article went on to say that 26% of Americans exhibit signs of a generalized anxiety disorder. Now you imagine a time when you got really nervous. I mean, exceptionally nervous. Well, anxiety takes that to another notch. And it was interesting that the same article said that if 26% of Americans have the symptoms of generalized anxiety disorder, and for those of you who teach in the 
uh, university sector as I do for the last 20 years, that article identified that 68% of 18 to 29 year olds have signs of generalized anxiety disorder. And to me, that is a big deal. This article concluded by saying that the unpredictable will be the new normal. And then it concluded by saying that anyone can have negative or critical thoughts, but it will take great intentionality, a mindset, if you will, to notice the small but positive things that, that take place in your life. And, and, and I, I couldn't uh, agree more. Just this morning, as uh, I went down to the market early, uh, to pick up some pastries. Uh, I have a friend who used to call them fat pills uh, for, for Luke and for Lee. Uh, I saw a regular cashier that I normally see, and, and as I was leaving, this is what he said to me. You are always so happy. And I said, well, you know, it sure beats the alternative. But as I drove home, and just a four-minute drive home, I was thinking, what a commentary on our culture today that it, a simple smile, uh, you know, could be exercised. And quite frankly, uh, we know that it takes more muscular uh, tendons to frown than it does to smile. So I would just say to you, hey, greet somebody with a smile. You don't even have to say, how's your day going? Just give them a smile. Of course, some people may think you're weird, but but that's on them and, and not on you. Well, uh, last couple words of, of introduction here before I jump into really where I'm headed is that Chris and I were talking about the relaunch of Open Door and and again thank you for uh, rechecking me out or checking me out for the first time but I told her I said you know I think I in this first episode I need to kind of ramp up and maybe get used to this and have people you know readjust and acclimate to me and and Chris said why do that just jump in the deep end yeah, easy for you to say, you know, dear lady. But as I thought about that, I thought that she had more wisdom than, than I, and, and that's not uncommon in our marriage of 40 years. And so what I'm going to tell you right now is that for the next three or four segments, I'm going to dedicate these Open Door podcasts to the LGBTQI conversation that is commonly found uh, in the United States today. How am I going to do that? Well, I'm not doing it by myself. Uh, I, will, I will offer my own spin, my own insights, my own research, my own personal experience, but I'm going to be bringing in people that uh, have come out of this lifestyle, whose lives have been transformed. Uh, those who have studied this academically and, and bring that contribution uh, to the table as, as well. But really for today, what I want this Open Door podcast to be is is in essentially a welcome back and or welcome and thank you for checking me out for the first time. But also this is an introduction to the conversation of the LGBTQI conversation that is commonplace in the United States today. Well, what's my own personal background and, and backstory? Well, here it is. Kristen and I moved to the uh, San Francisco Bay Area in 1982. Uh, I was then uh, a pastor of education in a, in a medium-sized church, and it was in 1982 that the AIDS virus 
specifically the HIV AIDS virus was officially classified by the Center for the Disease Control Area. And at this time, an elder in our con congregation was a physician and she was the head of the Infectious Disease Center for our county. And she came to me as the Minister of Education and she said, Bill, what would you think about if uh, we opened the church doors and we offered an evening uh, of question and answer, this is what's involved in the HIV uh, AIDS uh, virus. And uh, gosh, I was, I was kind of taken back and, and I was, again, a, a relatively newly minted uh, you know, pastor. And, and so I ran this by our senior pastor and, and he was all about it. And so we opened the doors that night and, and the, the response was amazing. And uh, we had all types of people come in and, and come and ask questions and all. And it was just an, an amazing time. And little did I know, and, and excuse the pun here, but it opened the door to an area of ministry that has stayed with me now for over 30 years. Yes, my involvement in the homosexual community uh, whether it be within the church, outside of the church, at school, in business, uh, that this has been a, a, a proving ground for me. Also, to give you a sense of just uh, maybe uh, the landscape of the LGBTQI uh, you know, movement, if you will, it was in July of 1985 that Rock Hudson publicly announced his lifelong preference of same-sex partners, and he would die later that year of AIDS. And then six years later, in 1991, Los Angeles Lakers superstar Magic Johnson shocked the basketball world, really the entire world, and he announced his early retirement because he had been diagnosed with AIDS. And then the week following, rock and roll icon Eddie Mercury of, of the group Queen, musical group Queen, announced his positive uh, diagnosis of AIDS, and he would die just one week later. And so when I think about this context, it's not something new. It's, it's a conversation that, that we have had with us for a long, long time. Writing over 20 years ago, and catch this, over 20 years ago, and many of you will uh, recognize the last name, Graham, Ruth Graham, daughter of Billy Graham, uh, wrote a book 20 years ago titled, Every Pew Sits a Broken Heart. And this is what uh, Ruth Graham uh, wrote 20 years ago. Perhaps one of the most challenging issues facing the evangelical church and our culture today is the issue of homosexuality. It is a hot topic, writes Graham, in which, and check this out, in which reason is often obliterated by emotion. And although the church may preach grace, we have a difficult time extending it when it comes to the homosexual who is asking questions regarding their own identity or orientation. I couldn't uh, uh, agree more with, with, with what she wrote. And I would just pause here to, to, to make this uh, one practical statement and uh, and for those of you who have a family member, a, a, a grandson, a, um, a colleague at, at work, uh, and this topic comes to the table, and this person 
uh, comes out to use today's language and they want to talk to you about their orientation, what I would want to say to you in a, in a gentle way is that when the conversation centers around advancing a personal position rather than connecting with that person in a personal way, we have, we have, lost, uh, we have lost the battle. So why does the uh, LGBT uh, you know, conversation rage on? I'm just going to offer five bullet points uh, very, very quickly. There are those people who want to study it. Uh, they want to have facts. They're going to uh, study trends. And essentially, this is good and necessary, but it's proven to be uh, ineffective. A second group of people deny or minimize the, the reality of this conversation or refuse to talk about it at all. Again, a flawed position. This is the ostensibly the uh, ostrich with its head in the sand. And uh, by ignoring this, uh, this may uh, give a, a false sense of comfort, but again, it's really of no significance. Uh, a third idea that I would pose to you is, is not mine. It's, it's uh, really advanced by a psychologist, Dr. Harry Schomburg, who uh, wrote, wrote the book on uh, false intimacy. And with this aspect of false intimacy, he writes that today sexuality can include perversions, and he wrote this four years ago, that our sexuality, our national sexuality, includes with it such perversions that are well beyond a person's imagination. I was speaking to a group of about 70 people this past week, and uh, we were talking about contemporary uh, issues and trends, and, and I held up my, my iPhone, and I said, most people today, young people today, would rather be on their iPhone than be in bed. And I said, the reality is that the iPhone is the newest expression of birth control that I'm aware of. Yes, I said that. The fourth uh, observation that I, that I have here is that the church has uh, chosen to think in some way that they are exempt from this. And I'll say more about this in our last session together. But the reality is that the church is not exempt from this and that on any given Sunday, particularly in a larger church, you're going to see a high percentage of those people who are dealing with the area of uh, gender or identity. The last idea that I just want to uh, share with you that why this conversation continues to, to rage on is simply this, is that the church community today, the believing community today, does not understand the difference between repentance and recovery. Repentance is an event. Repentance is, God, I think I've missed it here. Will you forgive me? But particularly in the area of the gay community, someone can repent, somebody can have a, uh, a make a decision that, gosh, I think I've chosen wrong in this way. But recovery is a process. And most pastors and church folks do not understand that. The fourth uh, observation that I, that I have here is that the church has uh, chosen to think in some way that they are exempt from this. And I'll say more about this in our last session together. But the reality is that the church is not exempt from this and that on any given Sunday, particularly in a larger church, 
you're going to see a high percentage of those people who are dealing with the area of uh, gender or identity. The last idea that I just want to uh, share with you that why this conversation continues to, to rage on is simply this, is that the church community today, the believing community today, does not understand the difference between repentance and recovery. Repentance is an event. Repentance is, God, I think I've missed it here. Will you forgive me? But particularly in the area of the gay community, someone can repent, somebody can have a, uh, a make a decision that, gosh, I think I've chosen wrong in this way. But recovery is a process. And most pastors and church folks do not understand that. Well, uh, today was a, a really an, uh, a me getting uh, used to uh, podcasting all over again. Uh, I want to say goodbye at this time. Uh, I want to thank you again for checking me out. Uh, look for this to reappear here in about another week to 10 days with another segment on the conversation of the LGBTQ conversation in the United States. God bless you and have a great week.